Well, what we do in Keel Labs is look at the raw materials and the innovations required in order for us to live and thrive in a planet that is regenerative and circular. I feel like you guys are burying the lead about this then. Like you take seaweed and you turn it into things that we can wear. That's I mean, true. Yeah. Is that like, I mean, I think that's, that's awesome. to a new episode of Who's Saving the Planet. I'm your host, Lex Kefauver. When we think about what work people are doing to combat this climate crisis that we're living through, we're often talking about the nuts and bolts, the block and tackling of things like carbon mitigation strategies and alternative energy sources and storage solutions, food supply chains, reforestation efforts, a whole tableau of the broad-based economic and technological fixes necessary to rebuild our infrastructure and consumption habits. And honestly, it can get exhausting. But behind, or perhaps within, each one of those technological solutions, those bits of mechanical wizardry, is a moment of pure rebellion when someone decided that the status quo is no longer acceptable and despite the sheer audacity of it, they are going to take a wrench to the system and break it to make room for building something better. Now, perhaps that's a bit hyperbolic, but our guests today, Alex and Tessa, that is 100% the mood in which I was left after our conversation. Their company, Keel Labs, is the perfect incarnation of how two people can challenge the very core of what we think is possible. I'll let them get into the weeds, but to set it up, I would like for you to consider this question. What if all of our clothes were made out of seaweed? In addition to a forthright meditation on how to rage against the machine, Alex and Tessa were some of the most hilarious and delightful guests that I've had the opportunity to speak with in a minute, and that kind of levity is so important when we're talking about these incredibly, if not dire, at least exasperating topics like, you know, saving the planet. I asked them, as I do most of our guests, what they would tell themselves if they could go back in time to the earlier version of themselves that were just getting keel off the ground, and they absolutely flipped the table on me. That's a big one because they're, oh my God. What advice would you give yourself? <clears throat> no, no, no. You go first. <laughs> And we had a chance to stroll down Nostalgia Lane with some wonderful 90s era throwbacks like SLC Punk and personal favorite, Wordly Wise. Remember uh, Wordly Wise? I don't know if you guys had that. This is, I'm aging myself now. It was from uh, SLC Punk, where they say, you know, <laughs> You're not old enough to know SLC Punk. You can only Punk. change the system from the inside. Uh, and I think that that really holds true. Uh, listen, I'm old enough. But first, a message from our sponsor, which is actually our sister organization, United by Zero. We started United by Zero to help people connect with more sustainable brands, and we're thrilled to share with you the developments that we've been making over there. So here's a quick message about what we've been working on with United by Zero. Hi, my name is Elia, and I'm part of the team behind United by Zero. United by Zero makes it easier to change our fashion habits without any extra work. Just by looking at the stores you already shop at online, the United by Zero Chrome extension offers you suggestions for more sustainable brands, better by science, and better for the planet. 
Download the United by Zero Chrome extension today and start saving the planet. All right. And with that, here is my conversation with the founders of Kia Labs, Alex and Tessa. You're fine. <laughs> Listen, I'm really excited to be here today. Perfect. That's how we're going to start the podcast today. Welcome aboard the two founders of Keel Labs, Tessa and Alex. Welcome to Who Said the Planet. Thank you so much. We're so delighted to be here. You say that now. Let's see how we feel at the end of this whole shenanigans. As we know, things change very rapidly. Man, for you guys, things must have changed so much. The last like five years of your life is a tr- like complete roller coaster ride, um, which I'm excited to get into and learn about. But let's start at the end. What is Keel Labs? Yeah, so Keel Labs is a company and a platform for innovation when it comes to ocean-based solutions, and primarily. What that embodies itself in is our flagship product, Kelson, where we are developing and scaling fibers and yarns for the use in textiles industry that are derived from one of the most amazing organisms on the planet, kelp. Why do you feel like you're about to like laugh throughout that entire thing that you just said? Because you know what? It's so amazing. How could I not? Well, break it down to me in a way that like, uh, speak to me as as though you were a relatively bright fifth grader. What is Kiel Labs? <laughs> yeah, we're you know we're a research company thinking about the future of our planet and focusing on a resource that's widely available and under sort of explored, um, which is the ocean and the water, like on this planet. Um, and so we're interested in working with organisms that are specifically derived from our oceans eliminating the use of land, which most of our materials come from, and finding ways of applying them into our everyday use. And let's, let's break that down. Then. Give me an example. Yeah. Okay. Wait for a fifth grader. Yeah. Like, a, you know, like pugnacious, not pugnacious. I don't know. Someone, yeah. Somebody, I, you remember uh, Wordly Wise? I don't know if you guys had that. This is, I'm aging myself now. All right. Yeah. For somebody who knows a lot of words as a fifth grader, what did, what's sure. the last time you guys did something? Okay. So the clothes and materials that we surround ourselves with are leading to significant uh, effects and impacts on climate change in a very, very negative way. Right. And so what we do in Keel Labs is look at the raw materials and the innovations required to transform the materials and the textiles that we do rely on into positively impactful and environmentally beneficial products. So primarily what we scale and develop are new textiles that are made out of seaweed in order for us to live and thrive in a planet that is regenerative and circular. I feel like you guys are burying the lead about this then. Like you take seaweed and you turn it into things that we can wear. That's I mean, true. Yeah. Is that like, I mean, that's, I think that's, that's awesome okay, in that's and of facts. itself. <laughs> that's Kelson though, right? You're like, you're asking about Kiel and Kiel is this bigger thing. Keel right. Is- oh, well, the, let's talk about that then, right? Because when I first heard about you guys, that was the, the pitch, right? Let's take seaweed. Let's use this resource that we have. Let's replace some of the extractive things that we are using right now to make these clothes yeah. that are not biodegradable, that are terrible. And let's use something that we have in abundance and is also potentially regenerative for the world. So that's how it was 
pitched to me. We take seaweed, yeah. we turn it into clothes. Yeah. And I was like, I got that. That sounds awesome. Let's do it. How did that yeah. go from we are a platform for innovation that is doing all of these complicated things? So like, where's the journey in that? Yeah. So the fact that we are making textiles out of seaweed is unchanging and that, you know, will never change. And in addition, we want to make sure that we're always being informed by both the needs of the planet and by the needs of our species. And so because of that, we want to continue to have an innovative perspective on both the seaweed materials that we make, the products that they're developed into, and other opportunities that, you know, come from that. And so we are acutely focused on seaweeds and on kelps and textiles. And that's, you know, the start for so many product innovations, but primarily we want to make sure that our core focus and scale is around the fashion industry. Yeah. So Kelson, <laughs> yeah, Kelson is like our, the name of our yarn. Um, and that is what we've been focusing on for the last few years. And we're super excited to have a proper name from, for it outside of Algenet. We're just realizing it's not the end all be all. There's so much more that needs to happen. And we can't just rely on one organism. Like people are talking about seaweed a lot these days, but we don't want to limit ourselves just to one final product. Right. Well, then let's let's go back. Then let's take a couple steps backwards. If today we are at the Keel Labs evolution of this, which is an all-encompassing, let's do everything that we can to innovate as much as we can to try to upset what is a world eating industry, which is our consumption around textiles that had to start at a sort of a smaller idea, right? You can't, you can't just jump to the end. So where, where did it begin? When were you like, I'm sure you didn't sit down and be like, you know what, you know what we need to do here, Tessa, we need to create an innovative platform for using all of the world's resources to <laughs> help combat this. So where'd we start? Yeah, I mean, I think that, and of course, feel free to jump in, but, you know, really what this started as was an analysis of the current landscape. What materials are we using? How are they having impacts on our environment? What are the pros and cons? And from an industry perspective and a design perspective, what do you actually need a solution to look like? And so, you know, from there, looking at, okay, we have synthetic and fossil fuel-based materials. No bueno, don't like that. We have land-based materials like cotton, like viscose, which currently are not being produced in beneficial uh, ways. And it's going to be challenging to get there. Mm -hmm. So where else could we possibly look for a solution that's accessible, that's global, that can fit into existing supply chains rationally boiled itself down to aquaculture. And from there, which one of those again is extremely beneficial, you know, not a questionable resource uh, already in production. And really that's kelp. Uh, and so from there is kind of like filling in the blanks and, and logical solutions were created because of that. There's a lot of steps though, between like, I mean, if it were that simple, if we're just like, here, you know, we'll just reason our way 
out of this existential crisis that we have now before us, I feel like things would look a lot different. Well, so we like, what like happened that. next then, right? How did you get someone to be like, Here, here's my idea? And someone's like, not only is that idea fantastic, I'm going to give you so much money to make this reality. Yeah, we were living in that crisis. Like we were very connected to the fashion industry and so much was happening around. You guys have a background in fashion specifically, right? You both, you met at the Fashion Institute of Technology, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, you know, a lot of statistics around the industry were coming, uh, coming out at this time, especially around the pollution and sort of its ranking as an industry globally, um, which really sort of opened my eyes up to it. Um, and then trying to do the right thing as a designer, I was looking for other materials to work with. And it was so difficult to get a hold of them, to find them, to find them at reasonable cost. And there was just a clear gap right there, right? So us knowing what materials sort of need to be like and act like gave us a lot of insight to what we needed to create um, since we already saw that opportunity. So we were like, this needs to be a material that can be easily adopted into existing systems that designers already work with. And it mm -hmm. needs to function like X, Y, Z. And uh, it just needs to be consistent, right? There's a lot of really interesting materials that are grown that is difficult to control the environment, right? Like they're not going to be the same from product to product. And so we just wanted to make sure that that could happen and seaweed gave us that opportunity. So there was a lot of trial and error in even getting to that point. And then after we did our first test, we like, we entered it through a competition and got recognition for that and had brands reaching out to us. And we were like, oh my gosh, this is clearly a need that the industry is asking for and looking for. Mm -hmm. And that led us to our initial round of funding. So it kind of reminds me of if we're at the early stages of this idea of let's replace the raw materials that we use to make our clothes. Not too long ago, we were thinking about that for meat where we're like, how can we, how can we change our food systems in the world? We know that those are incredibly both harmful uh, and also not sustainable. And thus was born this idea of plant-based meat alternatives, which seemed like totally crazy. Totally. And now have supported many billion dollar companies. And perhaps like, you know, that's kind of akin where you're like, all right, we're using, like you said, materials that are either derived from oil or from farming in a way that uses a ton of water and is very resource intensive and what have you. What else can we do? And we're at that early sort of like R&D stage right now. We're sort of like figuring out what's available, how can it be used? And in five years or in 10 years, it will be proliferated to the point where along the, you know, you will, you will have these options available to yourself at the convenience of going into whatever a supermarket would be like, you know, a, a department store. Yeah, I'm actually super glad that you bought, brought up the connection with food because I think that both as an inspiration and catalyst for the work that we're doing, but also as a model for global change, the you know revolution that is occurred and is continuing to happen within food and alternative meat spaces is incredible. I mean, ten years ago, you know, saying that either you know even that you're a vegetarian, but also that you would even consider some kind of alternative meat was absolutely unheard of. And now not only is it accessible in most, if not every supermarket, but it's featured in every restaurant and is preferred by many people that actually don't care about, you know, the environmental impacts. And I think that that 
global transition of mentality is really interesting because, you know, it happened, although the work was happening for decades, it happened quite quickly and really shows us that although these systems are antiquated, once we get that public understanding and acceptance, the rollout of that is actually happening quite quickly. And we expect for a similar wave of change to be happening both in the textile space, but in the overarching material space and, and consumer sector as well. There's two places I want to take this. We'll do it in order. One is consumers, because that revolution was interesting. And the second is channel partners, which is fancy words for like, who do you have to work with to get this to make this happen? So when the meat industry, when Beyond Meats and, and companies that ilk were happening, it was in direct opposition to cattle farmers. It's like, here, this is a one-for-one substitute. We are using something totally different from what you are doing. We're growing it. We're cultivating it somewhere else. And then it is a buy, it is a, a zero-sum game, right? You're either getting a cheeseburger made out of cow, or you're getting a cheeseburger made out of plants. From what you guys are doing, it's farther upstream where you have to also work with those companies that are the ones that take this raw material and turn it into a product that consumers buy, who are also the ones that have exacerbated this problem that we're in that necessitates you existing. So there's like snake eating the tail thing here, right? Where it's like, you need to exist because this is so bad. And in order for this to be so revolutionary, you need to work with the entities that have created this problem that you are here to solve. There is not a question buried in that. That is a lead in to be like, tell me your thoughts and your feelings. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think that this is a really critical question and and challenge because as you're saying it's a yeah it's like that chicken and egg snake eating his tail situation and you know indeed for true change and impact to occur every member that's participating in the production and consumption of products needs to be proactive and enthusiastic about that change you know a single a single party cannot change the entire supply chain because it is complex and it does involve so much collaboration. And so I think now, you know, we're seeing a greater deal of alignment when it comes to all of those parties where previously primarily consumers and then your brands are kind of dipping their toes in, but really just focus on the marketing component of it and suppliers completely having no stakes in the game and not interested. Right. But now that I think we're we're seeing both increased demand, government mandates, and in addition to impacts of climate change affecting access to supply chains, both brands and suppliers and manufacturers are realizing that in order for them to maintain their business models and growth, that they need to embrace solutions. There's still a much more that needs to occur when it comes to taking action and investing resources and time and attention. But it's like all the planets need to align for change to truly happen. We're getting closer, but there's still a lot of work to do. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a domino effect and like you need, like there'll always be one champion and then hopefully another and then another and then then another, and then everyone's on board. But in order to get those people on board, you need to quell some fears. Um, and those are usually just around risk and about around business, right? Like if you are asked those fears you're talking about are from the, the corporations changing the things they do, right? Corporations, yeah. like any any sort of 
stakeholder in the supply chain, right? Like Mm -hmm. if I'm going to give up this, am I guaranteed to get the same in return, Mm -hmm. right? Or something close, or can you paint me a picture of what things will look like in the future? Once like, once that's done and, and sort of the easier that transition is and the easier the education is and when things are relatable, it's much simpler to get everyone on board. That ties in directly to what we're doing when we were thinking about how we're building our technology. We wanted to create something that people were familiar with and were able to adopt into their process um, and not something that's like completely different and new and nothing like anything they've experienced before. Well, let me ask you about that then. The the product that you create, the yarn replacement, is it does it does it functionally work comparable to uh, whatever your classic, whatever your comp would be, right? A, a cotton based yarn, and is it price competitive? Yeah. So I think there's this is a very multifaceted question, and I think the word replacement is one that is really sticky in general in that you know you both want to make sure that you're able to replace or replicate the way that our supply chains and our consumer habits have existed while also acknowledging the necessity and importance of diversification both of raw materials and our supply chain so yes if you are making one t-shirt out of one material and then the next day you're making it out of something else you're replacing it however you know you're really seeing a new product category come into life the same way that you know polyester created an entirely new uh, product line and, and performance criteria before that was in existence the same thing i think that we're seeing in the material space where you are replacing and you're hoping to find new solutions but you're also expanding and growing. And I think that that's really important for us to acknowledge in our communication as a brand, but also as brands responding to their consumer needs as well. You know, it's interesting. uh, Well, there's many things that are interesting about this, but your treatment of this is so measured and thoughtful and, and well articulated in a way that I find sometimes tension in myself around like reasonableness is incredibly important when doing business, right? You want to be a reasonable actor. You want to be someone that is thoughtful. That is, uh, that someone can can sit on the other side and be like, that's they're a rational person. I see what they're doing. Let's be reasonable together. Let's do business. Right. That's incredibly important. On the other side is the like, emotional aspect of why all the people that are here trying to fight for a better world come to the fore. And we've seen that, like, we see that all the time, but just the most recent example now is people taking cans of paint, throwing them on paintings or the glass in front of paintings, what have you. And that engenders a lot of different reaction. In theory, we're all on the same side, right? We're all trying to fight for the same thing. Obviously the tactics and whatnot are very different, but that like core sense of emotion, you know, that like I'm, I'm fucking pissed about the way that things are going and I'm going to try to change it because if I don't, then who? And it takes everyone. Yeah. How does that blend with the need for this like measured reasonableness, like very sort of like calculated way of thinking and talking about all of this? 
for me, I think it's just understanding where other people are coming from and, and the positions they're in. And we need them to be a player on our team. So we need to be uh, respectful of the situation that they're in also and kind of get them to be an ally to make this happen. If we're just being like, you need to do this because, you know, climate change, not everyone's bought into that. So you need to sort of understand what their priorities are. Yeah. And I think like, you know, along with that, I want to smash everything. I'm super (laughs) mad and I'm really upset and I want change to happen now. And after a lifetime of literally like smashing my head against the wall and getting nowhere because, you know, uh, you're not working with people, you're just all working against each other, thinking about if this change really, truly needs to happen, we need to do everything we can to get there and making sure that it is the most realistic, responsible and intentional, you know, progression of our mission then we need to do that in a way that's accessible for everyone that's participating rather than, you know, putting people in these various boxes, as Alex was saying, and alienating because you're, you're addressing things in a way that isn't actually realistic. You're just creating emotional responses that lead to inaction. So if you're able to provide the most logical step-by-step program, it's easy to take that first step. Yeah. It's easy no. to along. It's like, oh, okay, now I know what I need to do. Uh, instead of, you know, I also I also really appreciate those people that are blowing things up and lighting fires and throwing paint on whatever, because that is also needed, right? It's needed to bring awareness and attention to this. But I think there's also a balance of people like us who are like, okay, let's actually like break it down and like make it really simple to follow and get on board. Right. And I, I know that that you meant um, that in in support of uh, climate protests, not eco terrorism. So yes, we we do know yeah. that there is a line to be drawn here. Um, yeah, I hear you about all that, and also like I kind of think it just stems back to who are we fighting against? And to some degree, we're not fighting against each other. We're fighting against things like ignorance and intransigency, transience, and also just like the incentive structure of capitalism that has been dominant for the last 30, 40 years, if not much longer, but we've really seen that hypercharged with the deregulation of the post seventies era that has created this structure where it's like, if you're going to destroy the entire system, one, I don't know if you can do that fast enough in order for us to like enact the change that we need in the time that we have. And two, it may just not be a great idea. You don't know what comes next. Like anarchy is not necessarily this panacea, this like, you know, Eden-like solution. And so there is this necessity of working within this system that has created this problem and restructuring that incentive structure to make sustainability the most profitable thing and the most desirable thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I think it was from uh, SLC Punk where they say, yeah, <laughs> Are you not old enough to know SLC you can Punk? You only change the system from the inside. Uh, and I think that that really holds true. Uh, listen, I'm old enough. That's uh, a throwback right there. Man, all right. Listen, um, if you haven't watched it recently, I haven't got to give a rewatch. Anyway, uh, <laughs> point being that I think. And I guess watch- like grunge is actually kind of coming back. So I mean, Maybe yeah, uh, like long live the '90s. If you're I older, if you're like 
40 years ago, so you're fine. Yeah, sure. Um, but well, let's talk about that other element of that then. Well, not to cut you off, yeah. please. What was the what was the last? No, I was just going to say that with that, you know, in thinking about, you know, changing systems from the inside rather through external opposition um, and what you're saying, which is, you know, we need to work together to make that happen, is that we know where we need to be. We know what we want the future to look like, but we also need to acknowledge the reality, the hard, the messed up reality of where we are today and how do we be a part of getting to that future that we know we need to be in and allowing for those systems to change rather than negating their existence because that's just not helping anybody. I mean, it's also just like pressure. Like pressure is so important to make this thing happen. Like the brands are getting pressure from consumers. The suppliers are getting pressure from brands. And, you know, then it's like, we need raw materials somewhere so somehow someone needs to create that um so like everyone needs to feel a little bit of like that purpose otherwise they're just going to be sort of complacent and continue doing what they're doing and continue to sort of be this capitalist mentality of like this is already working why do i need to change it my business is successful yeah i mean change is change is hard right if you are doing something that is successful in like a, a straight up quantifiable aspect to endanger that business is always difficult but adapt or die i've been coming up with the like lex's version of the porter's five forces of not fucking the future over any more than we have and so five of them right top down market forces you have the people with a ton of money that are now thinking that esg is important let's understand what the portfolio of these companies are which is great politics which you're starting to see legislation passing through that's requiring reporting transparency all of that very good Protests, like you said, communities, people that are actually developing sort of like the need to express this fear and anxiety in different ways. That civil action is incredibly, incredibly important. Technology. So like what you guys are doing, there's a lot more ways to apply the things we know to build stuff and to make things in a way that's not going to destroy it. And the fifth, which I think ties all of that together and is the most underserved or underrealized is the consumer market is people just making choices and voting with their dollars in like micro ways that will like lubricate and accelerate all of those other things just as it's we start forcing brands to want to do the right thing then they're going to knock it in the way of the legislation they're going to want that money the top down you know giant money pools of money want to form but that's also the hardest Getting people to like change the way they do stuff. So difficult, so expensive, so nuanced. Yeah. I agree with every single one of those points you said. I'm just here like nodding my head. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. So true. Well, I'm trademarking Lex's Porter's five forces of unfucking the future, but I I haven't (laughs) figured out exactly what the acronym for that is going to (laughs) be. Work in progress. Love it. Um, Yeah, I, I, agree up with the consumer too it is hard but if it's like our job to make it easy too it's like well what do you guys think about that then like how do how do how are you going to close that gap because are people going to pick up a a shirt at whatever store and say this was made with keel labs derived algae product and i care about that or do you stop before you get to that point 
Well, I think that there's there's a lot of nuance there, of course. You know, I, what I'm seeing as kind of the theme of this conversation, of course, is change, but, you know, the relevant difficulties to do that. I mean, even if you have a detour that takes the same amount of time to get to the same place you go every day, you're going to be probably pissed off about that and not want to do it. Right. Uh, even if it's the same result. Um, and so I think like, you know, similarly to what we saw in the food space, we do want and, you know, strive to be recognized by consumers as that trustworthy go-to source for a clean conscience to know that what you're consuming is positively impacting the planet. But just the same way where, you know, initially um, beyond and possible and, you know, companies like that were really pulled and sought after by that, you know, relevantly educated and ambitious consumer that said, we really want this, we're super excited. Now it's coming to the point where, you know, my mom's 80 year old friend is eating beyond, has no idea what it is, but just likes the taste and it doesn't matter. So I think that it comes in that way where it first really has to start from that consumer acknowledgement and pull. But ideally in this future that we're talking about, you know, it shouldn't be up to the consumer to make those purchases. Everything should be a surprise when they go to their closet and they see, oh, actually, I didn't know, but everything in here is environmentally beneficial. I think there's two, I agree with all of that, but I think there's two important caveats. One, with meat, it's binary, right? It's from a cow, it's from a plant. And that's a lot easier for a consumer to understand where it's like cow bad, plant good. When you're talking about different fibers and different materials and processing, it's so much more nuanced. There's no sort of like simple, bad, good. And so some means of articulating that we do not have, and we need this whole language to adapt around sustainability that it's useless right now. The word means nothing because it means everything. So how do we create a language that that can actually deal with that nuance? And then secondly, that consumer pull was on the back of a massive financial investment from marketing, from teaching consumers, from re-educating the market. Like that didn't happen because people woke up one day and they're like, you know what I need? Plant-based meats. Mm-hmm. So there's also that element of like, how do you get the brands? Cause you necessarily like the distribution channels are different, right? You have to work with these fast fashion, mass fashion companies of the world to get those products into people's hands. And so you have to incentivize them to promote those products above products that maybe they make more money on from uh-huh. a unit economic aspect. Like, how do you tackle that? Yeah. I mean, I think there are some correlations with alternative meat space where in order to get in the face of consumers, they did also have to work with fast food chains and different brands to um, get their message across and get into the hands of early adopters. And once those early adopters were like, Hey, this is actually pretty good then it was like the trickle down effect. And everyone else was like, okay, this is great. I'm going to buy it. This is great. I'm going to buy it. I remember the first time I had a Beyond Burger and we were like outback grilling and it was like this incredible novelty. Everyone's like, should we try this thing? What is it going to like, what is it? And then, you know, like you said, it it has its own niche market based on just taste and texture alone. Yeah. But food and clothing are two things that we need to like, well, clothing a little less so like we don't absolutely need it for survival but we interact with it every single day like we wear clothes all the time and I think it is an industry that's a little harder for people to connect with because there hasn't been 
that much exposure on all the different materials. Like I even remember when cotton was like the best thing to buy and the best thing to wear. And there was this whole thing around, like, you should only wear cotton and not synthetic materials. Um, but I don't think the why was ever really given. And well, it's because it was a marketing campaign marketing in charge campaign. of that. Right. Like it, yeah. the why wasn't important. It was buy this thing. Right. And so for us, I think it is just educating people around what we're doing, why we're doing it, why it's better. Why is so hard? Why is so hard? Even from just, even, you know, like life can be described in like whatever it is, four charts. If you take of a bell curve of like where most of us are in the middle of, I kind of know about sustainability. I kind of care about it. I guess that it's something I should be important about it. The people that are on far to the left that really don't care, you're not going to reach them. The people that are far to the right that like know everything about it and are super nuanced, it's also really hard to convince them of doing things because they are their own best resource. So they're they're not convincible in a lot of ways. So it's like, like you said, how do you make that detour almost imperceptible? Yeah, exactly. And I think that you, you brought up a point, which is so much of that is collaborations with brands, with external messaging, with broadening your reach and your scope. And, you know, I think that that's really critical, especially when you're looking at, you know, your first partners, your first customers, making sure that their motivations are the same as your motivations and as many overlaps as possible. And at the end of the day, because of the scarcity, because of the, you know, longer timelines, currently we're seeing a motivation from brands to highlight as much as possible the companies and the value that they bring when they introduce them to their line, they want to make sure that those investments that they've made in development in resource allocation uh, is bringing them, of course, as much value as possible, which means, you know, as well, just from a business perspective on our end, we need to make sure that we're bringing as excellent of a brand that has existing consumer awareness and audiences that we can, you know, be transparent with as well. So who are the first partners that that met that threshold that you've decided to launch with? Yeah, I mean, it's an exciting time that, uh, <laughs> you know, we have a lot of exciting announcements uh, in the near future, so stay tuned. Okay, we'll have to stay tuned then for actual names. Um, but for sure, right? Like integrity is is not a commodity that you get back once you spend it. And so it's not a commodity at all, right? Like that's a currency that once it is spent, it is almost impossible to recoup. Mm -hmm. And so like, you got to start with, with the people that you believe are, are mission aligned. And to be frank, that can be very complicated in the fashion world. Like, yeah. It's extremely complicated. <laughs> yeah. Cause these it's also are massive companies and there are parts of them that I do think if you look at what H and M did, right. They worked with the sustainable apparel coalition to, I think, try to do something good in terms of labeling their products. But in the execution of that, it turns out that that went horribly wrong. And now they have to take all of those labels down and are being sued. And so I, I, whatever you want to take from that, it's early days. And yeah. it's difficult to, to parse out the elements of a business that are saying, we are fiscally responsible to our shareholders. And the other elements that are saying we are morally driven from a purpose that we believe this company should embody. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's really that fine line that needs to be defined and navigated right now because you're absolutely correct. You have your moral imperative. You have your responsibility to the world, to the planet. 
And also in order to make that happen, how can you ensure that the stakeholders necessary are motivated in the ways that they can go back to, to their boards and their stakeholders? And so it's it's really a challenge and one definitely perpetuated by the systems that we're deploying right now, just even economically and globally, but ones that need to change. And I think, you know, something that you were saying earlier about, you know, there's no what's good and what's bad. And I think as a global populace, in many ways, we are beginning to shift. And in saying like, there doesn't have to be binary answers in so many things. There is- There's not, right? Even when it looks like a binary answer, there's so much nuance behind that. And also people aren't motivated by one thing, right? Like what matters for me may be different from matters for whomever else, for you guys, for each one of us. And in, in different instances, depending on what you're doing, you're Right. So humans are complicated, I guess, and sum that up. Yeah. And I think like, you know, we need to stop focusing so much on what's good and what's bad. It's only 100% perfect or it's 100% terrible. Mm-hmm. And there's nuance there. There's a 10% improvement. There's a 50%. There's better. Yeah. There's best. There's, you know, all of these different categories that are important. I definitely give credit to brands that are trying. You know, there are companies that were built with a commitment to a better future, sort of part of who they are from the start. And there are companies that were built without that. And then of the companies that don't have that, there are ones that are trying to make a change and there are ones that aren't. And so I definitely give credit to the ones that are trying and getting it wrong the first time, getting it wrong the first few times, but continuing to even improve like 10% as Tessa was saying. Okay. Let me ask you a couple. You've been very generous with your time so far, but I always got to have a couple of like questions at the end that we ask everyone. Where is... We'll stop talking so much. No, you guys... I could listen to you guys talk all day. Where is Keel Labs in 10 years? Keel Labs in 10 years has product lines that are in every single one of your closets. Um, So you own the, you own the brand as well. Somebody comes out and be like, you know what? I'm not going to go to Zara. I'm going to go to Keel. Um, No. So I... You know, there is possibilities. However, our intention is to uplift brands and designers to be able to use products. So the way that you have your North Face Gore-Tex jacket, you could have your North Face Kelson sweater or whatever that may be. And knowing that you can have the diversity of design and aesthetic and fit while still retaining the trust and transparency of a great product. Alex, I didn't didn't want... Is no, there I think yep. she got okay. it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Two more questions. For those people who are within these companies that we're talking about and are feeling this sense of conflict, I need a job, need to put food on the table, what have you. I do have these beliefs. I do like what I'm doing, but some days I'm like questioning myself, like, is this actually doing something good for the world? Am I whatever what you know that that conflict that we have what advice would you have for them I mean if it's something that you're experiencing every so often I think all of us have our doubts that we have to work through um it's probably you know you're just having a moment and it's something that you can work work through and move past but if it's something that you're feeling every single day I would take a step back and sort of reevaluate what greater good you're trying to work towards and make sure that what you are working on is doing that. And if it's not to sort of adjust to make sure that it is. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely agree with that 
for sure. And I think it's important to have that individual analysis because we all have different priorities and constraints. But I think, you know, it's it's also about, you know, totally understanding your position. You know, you have to put, put food on your table. There are only so many options. And with that, you know, what small step could you take to push something in the right direction? Let's say you're working at a big brand and whether you're high up on the food chain or at the bottom, even talking about, be that with your coworkers or your family or your friends about change, about companies that you do support or initiatives that you do support, that language, that chatter, that uh, messaging really reverberates and has such a greater impact than if you stay silent. Um, so I think that in these small ways, you're really able to further something so much better. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it's like the whole community thing. You want to be with the right people in the right environment to move things further. And if mm-hmm. those people are sort of encouraging you to keep sharing that, like your beliefs, then you're in the right place. And if they aren't, anyway. Yell at them because they should <laughs> know better and you need to teach them. All right. You heard it from Tessa here first. You have you have the opportunity to let forth. Okay. Last question. What advice would you give yourselves were you to go back to the beginning of this journey, knowing what you do now? You want to start? That's a big one because they're, oh my God. What advice would you give yourself? (laughs) No, no, no. You go first. (laughs) Primarily, I think it would be around, you know, being considerate and taking time and, and being measured about getting things done for myself and, and for anybody else, burning out because you need something to happen is not going to get it done in a, in a great way. And so I think just recognizing that this is going to take ongoing endurance and to, you know, takes time for, for yourself and for the activities that you need is really important because, you know, it's been many years now. Well, properly yeah. about five, but you know, that's, that's a long amount of time. And if you don't, if you don't have patience for that, then it's going to be really hard. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> it came to me. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I think just looking back, I definitely didn't know what we were going to face over these five years. Certainly not. And I think as a founder, you never know what your what situation you're going to be put in. And I've definitely experienced so many new situations and have had to sort of expand my skill sets and knowledge base. And one thing that I, one piece of advice that I do wish I had was that I don't have to be an expert in everything. I felt like in all those new situations, I've had to learn whatever that topic is pretty thoroughly to act on it. And in reality, there are experts out there on all those topics that can support you and save mm-hmm. so much time and energy and resources. Okay. Yeah. This is now we have this advice now so that we can, we can, you guys can live it going forward. Yeah, of course. It's definitely advice taken, received. We'll move forward <laughs> perfectly now. Um, I always ask questions that people, and I'm always fascinated by the answers that they give. Uh, some of the more common ones are like, I wouldn't tell myself anything because if I knew how hard it would be, I would never do that. And there's sort of is this moment of like that ignorance is so important before you step into the void. 
Yeah. You know? Like you have to sort of have this, this delusion that I you can like create something. Like I feel like if someone was like, you're going to have to go through this, 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 like, I would kind of see it as like a video game. I'm like, okay, level one done. Let's go. Like, <laughs> I mean, I, well, what level do you think you're at right now? <laughs> I don't know what the end game is. Right. I mean, neither do I. I've definitely talked to you. There's people that, have, you know, have billion dollar companies. And I'm like, when did you feel like the guy from um, Plenty actually talking about food, which is, I'm like, so when did you feel like you, you, you made it? And he was like, I'll let you know when that happens. The challenges just get bigger yeah, and they get different. And it, there is no sense of like rest when you are trying to make something. Yeah, No one's ever, ever actually asked me what I would, what advice I would give myself, which is why I totally demurred on that. But I think it would be this to tell my wife and my child that I love them every day because that and my family writ large as well. But like those moments for me are the ones that remind me of my purpose Mm. and make it feel worthwhile to be doing something which is so fantastically difficult that is a series of failures punctured by moments of ethereal success when the whole world is basically saying you probably can't do this. So I think that's what I would do. And I think I should probably do that more often. Wow, That's I'm so going to cry. You're yeah. going to make me cry. What the heck? I'm like a selfish jerk in mine. Jeez. Oh, fortunately, my wife has stopped listening to this podcast like 40 episodes ago. So tell <laughs> <laughs> her to listen to this one <laughs> to the end. All right. Well, you're going to have to stay in touch when you have these announcements and these things. We want to hear about it. We want to be able to support the work that you're doing. We want to be able to tell everyone to go buy the keel products in the stores when we can do that absolutely so don't be strangers we want to be here to support you through the whatever the next five levels are that you guys have to get through <laughs> thanks so much Lex. yeah, yeah we're, here right. to, we're here to support each other Thank you well so congratulations also on the tremendous amount of success that you've had so far it's it's it is unusual to have come as far as you have and you should you should be very proud of that Thank you very much. Well, now that you've said that, I think my life is complete. And now this is what success is. So, You're the person that, that needed my validation. I knew I you were there I somewhere. I didn't know that's what I needed, but yeah. I didn't know what I needed this whole time. We're connected forever now. Great. Perfect. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Okay, that was our conversation with Alex and Tessa, the founders of Keel Labs. Today's episode was hosted by me, Lex Kefauber. It was produced and edited by Matt Simmons and features music from James Rhodes. You also heard a little bit about what we're doing behind the scenes with United by Zero. Would love to hear your feedback and for you to give it a test. So please head over to unitedbyzero.com and take our browser extension for a spin. Please let me know what you think. You can email me directly, lex at unitedbyzero.com. Love to hear your thoughts. Okay, see you again next time for another story of somebody who is saving the planet.